we are live and i have no idea how many people are in this chat or studio watching us it doesn't matter we are going to record this anyway so if you tap in you tap in if not we are here to talk about all things pelicans so far this season uh specifically this win over the bulls and how they've performed in these last few games uh welcome to the show Mason, question for you. Every time that video comes on, do you do a little dance, a little shimmy? Any any anything that you know makes you jiggle? I, <laughs> I, I I take a lap around the house real quick and then I get back to the chair before uh before the video ends. Oh uh, that's a uh, quite quite the lap. You know, I'm uh you're you're more runner than me, but but I but I you know I, I try to do my best Schmidt impersonation when when that video plays. It, no it, it never it never gets old. Um. So yes, we are here talking about the Pelicans after their win. They just beat the Bulls in what was a very thrilling game. In in my opinion, one fifteen, one eleven. On uh oh gosh, uh, I just switched to the YouTube link on accident and uh, was hearing myself echo. Uh, very weird situation. Um, but yeah, 115, 111, excellent shot making down the stretch by both teams. Pelicans come out on top. General, general impressions and thoughts uh on that performance. Um a win's a win, right? Um, and look, they had to do it without a guy who's been really important to them over the last week or so, uh, or really the whole season so far, Larry Nance. So um piecing it together. Uh, clearly, you know, the rotations had to change up as they've had to do a lot this season. The Pelicans, I feel like they haven't had terrible injury luck, but it also hasn't been good um, either. But they, they've, they've missed key pieces across the, the first 10, year, 10 or 11 games uh, the season and had to, you know, figure out some rotations on the fly. Uh, every, everything is still kind of a work in progress, adding a guy like Zion back into the mix. So, I mean, it's a road win over a good team. Uh, the Bulls have... The Bulls started a little bit slower. They were playing better recently. Um, and so I, I feel like, you know, it's hard to, you know, be upset about this, especially coming off that tough game against Indiana. So I'm, you know, happy, ready, ready to uh, head home for a, a long homestand. Uh, this team deserves it. It's, I'm sure they're looking forward to getting back into their into their own bed and, and, and getting a few good nights of sleep. And so, um, of course, it's a back-to-back, so they got to play again tomorrow night. But, you know, they they want to get they want a game on the road against a good team and that's tough to do in the NBA so um, hard to hard to be upset um, about the result uh, although you can we can certainly and we will dig into the uh, the way in which they won and, and really just some of the things that have been going on this season so positives first uh, positive number one Brandon fucking Ingram <laughs> that guy was unbelievable down the stretch in the fourth uh, hitting. Everything that you know, he got his uh, his hands up. Everything, every shot that he put up. It was really fun to watch him and DeRozan go back and forth, and sort of this uh, ethical bucket getting spree uh, between between the two two very, um, in my opinion, very aesthetically pleasing players to watch uh, when when they're going, especially you know the way they were going tonight. So uh, Ingram, in my opinion, was was not only huge down the stretch offensively. I think he had several good defensive plays throughout the course of the game. And uh, you can tell this, this, this season's Brandon Ingram is, is a little bit different. Um, the game, I think has slowed down for him again. Uh, he's making those decisions quicker. He feels a little bit more comfortable um, getting to his spots and, and he seems bought in on defense and, you know, maybe, maybe that is, 
maybe that has to do with Zion being on the floor and, and him seeing different coverages than he normally is used to. Uh, last year, he was getting loaded up on, um, you know, double, triple teams. Then at the end of the game, people knew that the team was going to go through him and him exclusively. So it was pretty easy to load up on that guy. And now it's, uh, who do you, who, who are you going to go through? Is it CJ? Is it Zion? And even if there's a shred of doubt, um, you know, that's, that's a coverage that is a little bit easier for him to, to attack. So it's awesome to see him sort of, um, play the way he has this season. I think he's been excellent. And I'm, I'm very excited to see his continued growth. And if the Pelicans stay winning, he should be an all-star. Like it should be no question, um, that, that he's an all-star. But, um, you know, that's positive number one. Positive number two, uh, Jonas Valanciunas. <laughs> the guy was a beast, and and he was cooking uh, um, Nikola Vucevic. He was absolutely cooking him. And and part of my frustrations with the team have been they have been treating Jonas as an afterthought, particularly in the minutes that he's playing, and, and you know that he's going to not close games. So if you're not taking advantage of the minutes that he's playing, and then he's he's a waste of space. And, and tonight, um, after what I thought was a bad first quarter, a bad first stretch, uh, as soon as the Jose basically came in the game, um, they started looking for him. They started going to him, and they recognized, hey, wait a minute, this guy can do some work down low. And and the thing about a guy like Jonas is he's always going to work to get you one of the most efficient shots in the game, which is a look at the rim. And and he's he was incredible tonight. I think he did his job really well. Uh, at the end there, I thought he held his own defensively. It was a lot of spectacular bucket getting from uh, DeMar DeRozan rather than anything that played Jonas off the floor, in, in my opinion. And their decision to sub him off the floor had to do more with the fact that they were up and then they have to limit threes. So uh, if you want to limit threes, I think in that situation, you play small and switch everything and you can chase people off the line and give them twos or tougher twos. Um, and, and it prevents, a, you know, a team from, from coming back. But, uh, I thought, you know, I thought his, his rotation was handled well today and he should not be an afterthought in closing minutes. Like he has been just because they have Larry Nance. Yeah, he, he was, he was great. I, I think that they're, um, that the Pelicans offense over the last few games has not exactly been fluid, um, which is challenging in and of itself, given how much offensive talent the team has. But the one thing you can rely on Jonas for is when things get ugly, he can get you he can get you buckets. And so I, I think I think he was out to send a little bit of a message tonight, uh, given everything you said about his inconsistent minutes and not closing. And I think he really wanted to, you know, to, to be a factor and, and be be relevant. And, and so and and he I agree with everything you said, like he should be playing more. Um, you know, it's not like they should be continuously feeding him throughout most games in the post. But but today was one of those nights where he was just you know, he was a bucket. I mean, and so the Pelicans continue to feed him. And I, and I really feel like one, I mean, you, you can't underscore or you can't under, uh, overstate how, how strong his rebounding presence is for this team. Um, Zion Williamson is not the best defensive rebounder. They gave up a bunch of second chances against, uh, against the Pacers down the stretch. And so really seeing him, you know, help on the boards score, that, that's what they need from him. And, and they're going to need that. Uh, throughout the course of the season. And so he needs to stay engaged. You need to keep him involved. And so he played a really good game tonight. Yeah. I mean, I think Jonas is easily a top four player on this team. I think it's, he has an argument at least on any given night for being the third best player on, on this team. 
uh, and he needs to be treated as such. He cannot be treated as an eighth or ninth man with prescribed minutes, and you know he's going to check in this time and check in at that time. He needs to be treated with the status that he has, and uh, hopefully that's something that the Pelicans can continue to build on. Otherwise, what you run is you run – or the risk of playing a player who knows that no matter what they do, the outcome won't change and, and they check out. And so if you have a situation where Jonas is knows he's going to get 20 to 23 minutes a night, and he's going to always be subbed out or not playing the fourth, not going to get any run in the overtime. um, Oh, we have really, 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 really fun comments right now. Look at this. Thank you, Elon. I I blame Elon for this. (laughs) Um, Uh, No, I mean, I, I, I think, we have all the best fans. I, I, I feel like so. The, the, one of the more frustrating parts about the Jonas, the inconsistent Jonas minutes, is that if you're pulling him out, there's really two reasons you do it. One is to be more versatile defensively, and the second is to have more spacing on the floor. Um, I can buy the first one, but if you're giving up all, so many second chance points that you're negating the defensive versatility then you better be creating more spacing and creating more higher quality offense. And they're not shooting enough threes to, to make that happen. And so it just feels like the reasons that they pull Jonas off the floor are actually like in theory, they might make sense, but they haven't been reality thus far. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the, the idea that you can play better defense with him, I think what's really happening is they just, they can't score the ball. Like the, I think the Pelicans biggest issue this season has been their offense, which Glad you know, yeah. you, you you look at their offensive rating. Oh, they're sixth in the league or whatever. Yo, they're putting up 117 points a game. Oh, you know, um, Brandon Ingram talked about how, uh, you know, tonight the defense was still shitty. Surprisingly, surprisingly, the defense tonight, uh, they had a defensive rating of 108.8, which is better than their, their season average. It would put them in, as a top 10 defense on the season uh, if they had sustained that throughout the course of the season. It was their offense, once again, being subpar, uh, at 111 so they scored 111 points per possession 111.7 actually and and that's well below their season average um and it's it's just not a good offense for the kind of firepower this team has and part of that is um the way they're opting to play and i think we you and i both have uh a lot to comment on regarding how they're playing and so i think there's 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 several things that we can touch on here um from the usage of players to substitutions to 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 schemes and yeah. stuff. Can, I, can uh, I say one thing, big picture, before yeah. we get into the details? Oh, of course. Their 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 defense right now. So on cleaning the glass, which removes garbage time. Before tonight, their defense is eleventh in the NBA, eleventh best. It's going to get better after this game. It's going to go not much, but it might go to like top ten. That is, if you had asked us before the season if that was where they had the if that was where the defense was throughout the course of the year, would you be happy? We would have been thrilled, right? <laughs> and, ecstatic. And, and so that's it's it's really it's all relative to expectations, right? This team, if you if you have this team playing at borderline top ten defensive levels, this the the the, the, the players on this team offensively, this is a deep playoff team. It should be like if they realize their potential, and so that I think kind of that feeds into kind of some of the stuff we want to talk about, which is this team has more potential in offense than they've shown so far. If their defense stays where it is, I don't give a shit. That's great. <laughs> now now let's, let's focus on the offense and where they can get a lot better. Yeah. And you know, like part of, part of that's been getting lucky with opponent three point shooting. 
And so outside of the Pacers game, I think there's I, I saw a stat on, on it was like Valley Sports or something like opponents are or maybe it was the Bulls broadcast. No, I don't know. I saw a stat tonight. It was basically that the Pelicans opponents are shooting 31% from three, which is hilariously low. The Bulls shot 25% from three. Again, you know, they're a similar team to the Pelicans in the sense that they like the mid-range area a lot more. They didn't take that many. They didn't shoot that many. So once they start running into teams that really get those shots up and, and put the Pels in rotation, I think they will struggle. I think that's where you'll you'll see the, the sort of like, hey, like, they're constantly stuck in rotation and they're not making them on time. And then, you know, Jonas is stretched too thin because the guards can't do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like the Pacers game on repeat. Um, so yeah, I don't know, like, you know, the people that calculate those luck adjusted defensive stats, I don't know where they fall under that, but you're absolutely right. Um, you take this outcome, you, you app, you take what, what you've given so far, what you've been given so far. And, and I was looking at the Pelicans, uh, like defensive shot profile and it didn't seem maybe it's changed recently because it, it's, it's been a couple games and I looked at it, but it didn't, it didn't seem like they were um, like bottom of the pack. Like they have been in the past where it's like, Oh, they're giving up 80% of their shots at the rim and three. Um, I think actually I can pull this up uh, right now. If you give me a second, um, I think, I think it's probably just give me a second. It's pulling up right now. Um, so here we go. Rim and three frequency, the Pelicans. Eh, yeah. Okay. They're 20, <laughs> they're 20, they're 24th. So it's not fantastic. It's not fantastic, but you know, um, we take it, we take it for now. The rim and three frequency is at 72.39%, which is still better than the 78 and 80%. I've seen them with, uh, last year and the year under Stan Van Gundy. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe defense does need to improve. Maybe I'll shut up. <laughs> maybe the data says it's gonna get worse, and they're right. But tonight it was fine. You know, it was it was fine in terms of the shots they forced, and I didn't think they got obliterated in the paint. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, look, there's a schedule impact here. I mean, we, we've we've hit on this a lot too. Like there there, a lot of road games. The, the strength of schedule I don't think has been overall has been too awful. Um, yeah, I mean, like if they're on dunks and threes, they're they've they've had the tenth hardest straight to schedule. I don't know if that incorporates home road and things like that and, and rest disadvantages, but um, you know, combination of playing a decently difficult schedule with all these games on the road and not just being on the road, but the fact that it's not like they played five, you know, six games on the road and four games at home, but they really haven't had a chance to be at home, and so that's why this upcoming home home stand is so important. Um, but I, I, so I think that was also something you have to consider too, is how, how just challenging it's been to essentially be on, you know, traveling the first two, three weeks of the season. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, man. It's, it's not been a friendly schedule. And I think we had a lot of discussion prior to the season, like, Oh, like, where do you like, you know, where, if at the 10 game mark, where, where do you see them? And I think there was a lot of people who were like, well, if they're four and six, like consider them lucky. and they are five and five. And I think, well, what I think is like, you can't use preseason data and preseason predictions to then like be like, Oh, well, this isn't what we thought about. Then you should be happy because they were five and five. And um, I think given what we know now, given what they're capable of doing, there is uh, those three overtime games that they lost uh, a few, just on just absolutely just bonker stuff. Um, there's no reason they couldn't have been seven and three or, or eight and two. Um, 
in and I know you you say that about like a lot of teams are like oh it's like you know this, this one thing went right but like I genuinely think this team has the talent to win those games and win those games by a healthy margin to the point they're not in overtime and don't have to deal with with you know like a rookie missing two free throws or someone not covering the you know the three point uh, line when that's literally the only shot that you can't give up uh, or you know Devontae Graham and it's in overtime. They have one bad loss, and it was the one Monday night against the Pacers. I mean, that you can say what you want about the Utah Jazz loss, but the Jazz are beating good teams, and also the Pelicans had some injuries happen mid-game, and that's always tough to handle. So, I mean, you take it. You take the end result, but the process is, is worth scrutinizing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let's scrutinize this process, right? Uh, I'm going to use Willie Green's favorite term. We're going to call people up and, and not out because this is – not uh, a trashing or bashing session. It's a, uh, right. hey, let's do something better session because we know you're capable of doing it. So uh, for me, I, we can each like pick different things. Um, how about we do that? Like I pick a topic, you pick a topic, and sure. kind of go from there. Uh, the topic I'm going to pick first is Willie Green. We'll start at the top. I'm going to call him up. My dude. My dude. You are an excellent player coach who can clearly get the team pulling in the same direction and fighting for the same cause. They very much believe in you and they very much want to play for you. That is something the Pelicans have struggled with in a coach for since they have had the name, the Pelicans. I mean, essentially, I guess since they had Monty Williams, right? Like I think Monty Williams uh, but even then, there was like nights where you're just like, where's the effort from them? Um, and and I don't believe that Monty was the same coach back then that he is now. I think Monty's grown leaps and bounds uh, with his time off um, instance in, in uh, Philadelphia and in, in OKC in San Antonio. Um, you know, Monty is, has leveled up and then people, coaches, just like players, grow and get better. And, and I fully think Willie is uh, capable of of doing that. So my complaint, I guess my number one, there's a lot to talk about, but my, my number one thing is why are we continuing to do things that we have mounting evidence don't work and didn't work last season? An example of that, I'm not even going to get into the Zion stuff right now. An example of that is the CJ and Devante units. Those units theoretically are there to give you spacing. And and those are, you know, two guys that can shoot. Devontae's been shooting well this season. He's, I think he's at 40%, 41%. They give you spacing. What they don't give you is defense. They don't give you rebounding. And their spacing is wasted if the action runs through those two as primary guards. They got to be there to create space for others, particularly the bigs and the slashers, the Zions, the Jonas's, the, the Brandon Ingram's like there. That's, that's how you got to utilize that. But when you start utilizing those guys on the ball and having them initiate and play make for others, they're capable of doing it. CG's had fantastic assist games this year, but on the balance, on the balance, they struggle. And, and that's, that's, Point number one. Point number two relates to Devontae and those kind of things. It's like we need times where you need a defensive stop. So we have this rookie who is 6'7, 6'8, who's in his limited time 
in his limited time, can you imagine like your first possession, like checking into a major game? Oh, I'm just going to strip Luka Doncic. Oh, my third possession, I'm going to do it again. Um, and then like my eighth possession of NBA basketball played, I'm going to lock up LeBron James and rip the ball from him. I, you know, we just played the Pacers and I asked this earlier in the season, if Benedict Matherin was on this team, do people know who he is? Like league wide, do they care? Like he's the front runner or one of the front runners behind Pablo Banquero for rookie of the year right now. Matherin has been that guy. Does he get any of that run given this team or is it more Devontae minutes? I think we both know the answer. Anyways, that's that's topic. That's topic number one. I think there's a lot of subtopics under that. I'll kick it over to you. All right. Um, I think you're better equipped to talk about the Zion topic. So I'm going to go with the shot location topic. The, 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 why, why are we playing basketball like it's 1990? Like, we're not the, – the Pelicans have the lowest three-point frequency in the league. And it's – in. It's there the difference between them and the 28th, the uh, 28th team, which is actually the Bulls, is the same as um, that's probably another example. But like, there's so like, there it, it's like a normal distribution right now, so to speak. But like, so the Pelicans are at 27% of their shots are three are three pointers. Um, the league, the median is about um, 35%. They are, when we talk about accuracy, they're top 10. They're nine. They've got guys who can make three-pointers. They just don't take them. And, and it, it's obviously, look, look, there, there's a couple, there's a, a few things going on here. Um, you, you've got a guy like B.I. You've got B.I. C.J. who love to take mid-range jumpers and are pretty decent at them. It's not like they're bad shots all the time. But it's a math problem at some point. You saw exactly, you saw what happened in the, in the Pacers game. Like, it's just a simple math problem. And they've got, the, you know, do they have better shooters in the Pelicans on the whole? I, I, yeah, I guess. But like, I don't think it's not, they're not leaps and bounds better shooting as far as three point, three point proficiency and being able to make, take, take and make those jumpers. Trey Murphy needs to be getting more, more three point looks. Brandon Ingram can shoot over anybody. He needs to be, I mean, he, he had a huge three down the stretch tonight. Just shooting over. Uh, I don't remember who he's shooting over, but just like he has the, the height, he has the length. He can do that. They've got guys. I mean, I feel like CJ is taking his fair share of threes. No one else is. No one else is really pulling the trigger from beyond the arc. It's, it's so it, it's obviously it's partially about facilitating those looks. And but but I, I just think the Pelicans have guys who can take and make those shots and just are not. It's just not part of the game plan. And so that's kind of my you know what's what's bothering me and it's not about i mean i, I think that the inverse is true about rim, rim shots they're not they're taking a ton at the rim they're not they're converting not a not a high rate but even so a not high rate at the rim is still a high high efficiency look it's still even the lower uh the, the even even the less efficient teams in the league at the rim that's still a good possession overall it's a good you know points per points per shot they, they've they've just got to be taking more threes yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look, uh, even, even with CJ, he is at a six, uh, 
Five-year low. One, two, three, four. Or I guess that's two teams right there. Yeah, he's at, he's at a five-year low in terms of his percent of shots coming from three. Um, you know, it, it, he's hit 33% of his shots are coming from three. His last two years in Portland, it was 46 and 42%. So that's a that's a significant drop-off. Um, and it's not like he's lighting it up at the rim. I have this comment right here. Shoot CJ's shooting splits. And and putting up these shots as if he's our first option. So now this is our time to call up Mr. McCollum, Mr. President McCollum. Uh, I'm always going to start this off with something positive. He has undeniably been a force in changing the Pelicans perception around the league. He has a podcast now with ESPN. He is on the league's biggest broadcasting platform that he um, puts content out for. And the the talking heads there look to him when they want to talk about the Pelicans, right? Obviously, those really smart ones call up our boy Andrew Lopez and get him on their podcast. Shout out Zach Lowe, because <laughs> that's, that's the way to do it. But CJ has also been an insanely positive force in terms of changing the perception of how the Pelicans are covered and viewed and, and perceived. And he's been a huge part of that. A lot of his extension money rides on the legitimacy he brings to the team. What's come with that, what's come with being the highest paid player on the team uh, and and having you know this this extension locked in is this it's become the CJ McCollum show. It has become his team. And Willie Green, either as a second year coach doesn't have, the desire or the guts or the strength to, to, to push CJ back on this. Um, I don't know what it is. You know, I don't know if it's a together thing, like, Hey, they both agree on this is how things should be run. Or if it's just like CJ is making big money and he's kind of taking advantage of an inexperienced coach um, and Willie's being a pushover. I don't, I don't know what the truth is there, but the fact is CJ McCollum leads the Pelicans in touches per game at 75, 75 touches per game. This is up from his stint as a Pelican last year in the 26 games he played as a Pelican. Well, I've not counted the playoffs. In the 26 regular season games he played as a Pelican, he averaged 73 touches a game. So two more touches in last year, even though they've introduced a massive factor like Zion Williamson and the, the younger players have taken steps up in, in terms of, uh, their offensive um, productivity, and they deserve more touches and shots too. So we've added Zion and CJ's touches have not gone down. They've gone up. In the last two years of Portland, he was around 63, 65, around there. So he's averaging about 10 more touches than he did at Portland. Um, and the quality of those touches, where those touches are coming from, are almost entirely on the ball. And he is playing as a lead guard. And really Green is enabling it. Um Perhaps they felt, you know, this is a natural continuation of his role last year. They needed the Pelican absolutely needed him to do that last year um, as he cared, you know, as he helped carry them uh, into the play and, and the playoffs. They needed him to take on those creation reps because it was simply too much for Brandon Ingram to do it alone. Um, and he looked good. He embraced that role and he played it really well. They do not need it this year. What they need is more off ball CJ McCollum. 
What they need is more decoy CJ McCollum. What they need is third or fourth option CJ McCollum. The guy that runs off of screens, the one that's setting back screens for others, the one that's you're utilizing his gravity and generating clean looks for him based off of uh, what Zion's doing, what, what Jonas is doing, what Brandon Ingram is doing. Like they do not run actions that are designed where Zion has the ball and CJ is screened for him. It just doesn't happen. They don't run actions where Zion has the ball in any situation and he's getting into the paint and his release valve is CJ as a catch and shoot threat. This is easy offense. CJ should be having the most efficient year of his career. He should be getting the easiest looks that he's had. Instead, he's most of his shots are being self-created. Actually, um, I do I do have that number. Uh, so so pause pause for me <laughs> while, while I while I pull this. I'll, up. I'll, I'll give I'll give one one stat here in the meantime. Per thirty six minutes this year, Zion, CJ, and Bi are all between nineteen and twenty field goal attempts per, per thirty six. Z- uh, Zion and Bi are both averaging about twenty six points. With those 20 shots, CJ's down at 20, 20, 20 points uh, for uh, on 19 and a half shots. I mean, the efficiency difference in those in those three players is it's it's staggering, and it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way for CJ. If anything, it should be that that Bi and Zion are, have, are having to work harder for shots, and CJ should be getting easy stuff. So uh, it, it's it, it kind of is kind of inverse from what I would expect here. Um, but they yeah. should be making life easier on each other, and it feels like CJ's. Working too hard unnecessarily. Way, way, way too hard. He is 59% of his threes uh, have been assisted, which is a career low. He's off the dribble so much this year. At uh, <clears throat> Last year in New Orleans, he was at 66%. In Portland, he was at 66%. Um, 70%, you know, going back to 18, 19, 73% actually. And then like, you know, early on in his career was like close to 90% of his threes were, were assisted. You want CJ being a pull-up threat. That's part of what he brings to the game and part of what makes him difficult to guard. But 59% uh, of his threes are assisted, meaning 40, 41% are unassisted at this point. This is, that's absolutely nuts. Um, they need to be generating catch and shoots. And that goes back to what you said. We are playing 2008 ball where we're not working to generate good looks. He's at a career, he's at like a five-year low in terms of his three-point attempts. So this, it just doesn't make any sense on how they're being used. Um, and and I think, you know, I think my theory, I have no sources on this. No, I haven't talked to anybody uh, on the team about this. I certainly don't think they would tell me. But my theory is that the reason we haven't seen point Zion is because CJ wants to run the team. He wants to be the lead guard. He wants to prove that he can do it, that, you know, he was in Dame's shadow. And now that he's the solo guard, he can run the show. He can feed everybody. He can keep everyone happy. And man, CJ, I think you can. I think you can absolutely do it in games that they need you to do it. But on a night to night basis, I need you to be the third guy at best. If Jonas is cooking, I need you to be the fourth guy. Like, I need you to be the distraction so the other players can cook. I need you to make them better. And our offense cannot work. What's happened the last few games is in the first six minutes, it's, I'm not going to complain about Brandon Ingram shots. I think he can, he's earned the right to, and he can do whatever he kind of needs to do. I think you can have one quote unquote, like system breaker 
on on your team. And I don't really consider Brandon a system breaker because a lot of the shots he gets are within the system and they're they're designed to get him those looks. But you can have one guy that just decides like, you know, I'm a vibe out, do what I want and and just kind of play like read and react basketball. You can't have two guys who just then like take turns doing that. And that's been how the Pelicans offense has operated while they just sort of half-ass post Zion on one block. And it takes like 14 seconds to decide if they want to throw the ball or to him or not. And then they're like, okay, cool. I'm just going to dribble, dribble, dribble and decide what I want to do. And the next possession down, Zion, go stand in the corner. We're going to post up Jonas on this block, but actually we're going to go do our own thing on the other side. That just cannot happen. Like you got to involve those guys in like high middle pick and rolls, like get Jonas going rolling towards the rim we talk about zion going towards the rim you can get Jonas cutting big fella can move and if he's getting there he's gonna get good looks it's those stagnant post-ups that kill everything and and uh i think everything else is again going back to my theory i think a lot of what's happening on this team is a function of how cj views the team and his vision for how the team should be run they close with larry at the five in games, maybe they don't even need to close with him at the five because CJ loves playing with Larry. That's his boy. And shot, look, Larry's been fantastic. He's been a really good player. I think there's been games where they've needed to go to Jonas. And and there can't be, you know, he, there can't be games where he just does not play the entire fourth quarter and overtime. Like I think there've been games where they've needed to go back to that and play through him, right? But there's this idea of like, hey, we're going to play like 2017 Rockets basketball where we got small uh, and, and we got a bunch of wings and we're going to switch everything. And then we're our best players. And are gonna not shoot threes. And not shoot threes. <laughs> and our best players are going to take turn isoing into mid-range shots. And, and the problem with the Pelicans, especially in end-of-game situations, has not been their defense. It's been their total inability to score the ball. And, and 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 that's because they've gone away from their bigs. They've gone away. They just haven't looked at Zion as any kind of initiator at all. They just don't view him. I don't know what it is, but like it's it's as if they think he is a traditional power forward, and that's how he should be used. While the guard should be the one that calls everything, and it, it makes no sense to me. But both Willie Green and CJ have got to get it together on that front. Yeah, I mean, like. I understand, and you show it work sometimes at, at points tonight. Like you, you, you dump the ball down to Zion, and the double comes. And you, and I respect the willingness to trust Zion to make the right pass out of a double. But it almost feels like that, like after that pass, what then? Then what? Like it feels like you've got this plan. Like uh, if you're going to post up Zion and either let him go to work or have the double come and then create a good look after, out of that. I, I sometimes it feels like it just stops there and there's not more that comes out of it after, after the pass out of the double. And so it's so know. stupid. It's so uncreative team. See a Zion post up coming from 45 miles away because they clear out one entire side of the floor for him. And there's a guy dribbling at the top of the key. What do you think he wants to do? He wants to fucking inbound the ball to Zion. And the second that happens, the guy knows the guy who just inbounded the guy, uh, the ball, his defender knows to go double Zion. And it's so stupid to me is that they have this play that works brilliantly. All Zion needs is a fucking screen. And instead of the guy inbounding the ball to him as a post up, so he can immediately then go get doubled. Just bring him back out to the three-point line and run that guy and set a screen for him. Just set any screen for Zion. What like can you count on one hand how many screens they've set for Zion all year? Why are you why are you 
putting that man into post up where he can immediately get doubled and he has to fight his way through. Uh, and the thing is, Zion is unbelievable. His scoring, like, I think his finishing is back. I think his scoring is back. I think he's ready to to explode. He is just waiting. And f- like I tweeted earlier, for four minutes a game, you see utter dominance. You see the fear in opposing teams' eyes as they're like, holy shit, what do we do with this guy? Like, for, like, Because he gets you know three or four possessions in a row, and no matter what they do, they're like, I don't know what the hell to do about this guy. So uh, in the Clippers, we saw it. That's when Willie Green was like, oh, we went to point Zion, even though we haven't done it much this year. In the Lakers game, you saw it at the end of the game when he was going at LeBron just like back to back to back. And LeBron's like, get me the fuck out of here. Wenyan Gabriel, go guard this person. And Wenyan Gabriel just foul the shit out of him the next play. Okay. You saw it in the Hawks game where the entire reason they came back and forced overtime was Zion was barbecuing them. Zion was just absolutely toasting them. Um, the Pacers game, they had it going in the third quarter. Again, after they did the same nonsense in the first half and, and they came out the half and Zion was like, you know what, Miles Turner, you're done. You're done. And and Zion just attacked him like three or four possessions in a row. And when he couldn't get a good look at the rim, he was able to create looks for Jonas Valanciunas. He was feeding the big man. It was really, really good offense. And despite, you know, what I will say is like we ran into the math problem that game. The Pelicans were scoring at a really, really high clip um, during those six minutes with the Pacers. Every time the Pelicans made a two, the Pacers would just come back and make a three. So, you know, didn't didn't count for much. But like in, in tonight's game, you had – um zion absolutely take over in the early part of that fourth quarter and for four for four was it the end of the third whenever it was and then he was cooking and then cj's like it's my time and he takes a contested step back and then immediately turns it over the next possession it's just like for four minutes the other team is petrified of what this guy is going to do and they're like well this is it like if he if they keep doing this they can run this play the next 10 15 times and the game's over like the pelicans would win and 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 for whatever reason, the Pelicans are like, no, nah, we're good. <laughs> That's all we need to see of it, and and we don't need to see anymore. So it's 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 maddening um, why they don't do that. And I think I think it's it's political. CJ's a highly paid player on this team. I think he is the highest paid player on this team at the moment. Uh, he's certainly the most tenured player on this team. Uh, he's running the show, and and I think Willie's being kind of pushed around by him. And 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 the team is being on the courts being shaped in in CJ's vision, and and if they concede, you know, uh, if they concede that CJ, you're not ready to be the full time one. I think that creates issues for them, uh, in the sense that like you know, I think it hurts CJ's self image, and I think it it hurts. It, they have to admit then like, okay, well, we just paid this guy like thirty million dollars a year for four years. And he's not going to be our lead guard, which is like I think completely backwards thinking. But yeah, I don't buy that. You know, I, I think that's how they feel. But they don't need they don't need CJ to be the lead guard to make him worth that the price no. of for him. They so like having they they can take they can take turns. Like no one, I don't think either of us are saying that CJ shouldn't have the ball in his hands in crunch time at all. I mean, I, I think that in the pecking order. He, he, he certainly shouldn't be ahead of Zion or B.I., but there are going to be situations where they, they, they need to go to him. And, and so the, the, having having C.J. be your third their third option on offense, that's an awesome luxury that that really good teams need to have. You need to have multiple ways to score the basketball in crunch time. 
You need to be able to go to ISO. And when and, one of the and, two goes down, like he steps up. Like that's yeah. that's what he's there for. But not yeah. full time step up mode. Like you don't need that guy on ten every single game. Yeah, right. Like his last uh I have is his game log. Um his his last uh few games. Let me let me read this out to you. So tonight he was three for thirteen, twenty-three percent. Indiana, three for eleven, twenty-seven percent. Atlanta, fifty-two percent, twelve for twenty-three. Um, you know, he scored twenty-nine points and he had gone early that game. Like he I think he had like 17, 18 and a half or something like that. Maybe more than that. Um, he was cooking that game and, and, uh, you know, good. That was a good game for him. But, uh, what was the, the game before, um, Atlanta? Oh yeah. Golden state seven for 17, 41%. Los Angeles Lakers, 37%. He, he shot 27 times that game, 27 attempts. And granted, Brandon, Brandon Ingram didn't play that game, 27 attempts from CJ McCollum and he scored 22 points on it. And so like this, this is not the style of basketball they need to be playing. Yep. Yep. Okay. You want to talk about the next point? Um, I guess the only one I really want to go to, it's kind of like, it's kind of willy as well, but it's, it's really looking at the end of the, like kind of the second unit rotations specifically. I feel like we talked a lot about the starting lineup. You, you mentioned obviously the Devonte CJ minutes, but I don't know. I, I, I still couldn't really make sense of what we're doing here. <laughs> I, I feel like it's it, it there. I don't mind the, the rotation changing a little bit from game to game, right? Like the season's young. I, I don't, but I don't really understand. It doesn't seem like there's any kind of like rhyme or reason behind it. Like I, I thought tonight was a good night to go to Najee earlier than they did. And they kind of just waited and they kind of threw him in like at the end of the first half. And then he played, he played more in the third quarter because Brendan foul trouble, but yeah, there's more Najee. There was way too much Billy. Love the guy, but they just got torched whenever he was out there. And like they he, they weren't getting enough rebounding and offense from him. They didn't need it. That's the thing. Like with Billy, you, you take if if he's gonna play, it's kind of like Devontae too, in a sense. It's because you need those guys to give you instant offense or easy easy buckets against backups. And the Pelicans have so much offensive talent throughout the roster, and they're able to stagger good stagger. They're some of their best offensive players with bench units. They don't really need those guys. And so, look, if you're trying to match up Billy because the Bulls have Andre Drummond out there, why? Like, make them like make force them, them to play. Andre Drummond. <laughs> yeah, yeah, force them to play your style of basketball. If you if you want to go smaller and let them go through Andre Drummond, fucking have a have at it. Have a great time. I think that like, was a time to go through to Zion at the five, right? They they went yeah. Zion at the five in the second quarter, and it was the stupidest lineup. Where it was again, they had small guards it, and no rebounds. It got dumber. It got dumber. And, and and it was so bad because every single one of those guards was like, "Oh baby, it's my time to shine." Zion goes space out on the corner or something, or come set a screen, big guy. Like it was, it was, it was so bad. It was so bad. And I'm like, you completely and utterly defeated the purpose of Zion at the five. Zion at the five is for Zion. It's for him because yeah. then there's no other big on the floor and y'all are there to fucking space the floor for him or create dribble penetration in a way that you can feed him because, again, there's no rim protection on the floor. So, like, it, it is it is so crazy to me that these kind of things aren't emphasized. But I want to I build off your, your rotation points. Um, Jose Alvarado. 
Jose Alvarado had 13 minutes. eight minutes and 29 seconds in the first half. He went three for four from the field, had two rebounds, two assists, seven points, and was a plus seven in the box plus minus. And, and Jose has been a positive basically like every single game that he's played. And he has the been a catalyst. The most consistent bench player. He's, Larry Nance maybe, but like – yeah, he's been yeah he's been a catalyst in terms of their offense. They literally, it's like the anti Garrett Temple of last year, where they could not do you know they could not score or defend when he was on the court. They score and defend like the Pelicans like stats while he's on the court go through the roof. And part of that is because a lot of his minutes do overlap with CJ, and you know what that does? It puts CJ off the ball and adds another creator that they trust. For whatever reason, they don't trust Zion as a creator yet, so they add, adds another creator and adds someone with actual, like, north-south rim pressure and can, can like, you know, in, in pick and rolls, we've seen him drive the ball and then pull the ball back out just to dish it off to, to one of the bigs, and he actually looks, you know, really good doing that and when when he's not covered he'll go up with the floater and you know he had a three he had three of those floaters today um that were that was fantastic the issue with with those you know lineups that 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 coach likes to put out is that there's a lot of small people on the floor and and when they start switching or when they start helping jose ends up you know when jose is not on the ball his his utility as a defender goes way down especially if especially if he's putting help help situations. And so they, they gotta be better about keeping him on at the point of attack. If he's, if he's on the court, but um, going back, sorry, going back to, to, to Jose's minutes, eight minutes in the first half plus seven um, in, in, in the box plus uh, minus um, and in the second half, four minutes, four minutes only. And uh, pretty sure all of them overlapped with Billy Hernan Gomez because he was at a minus eleven. <laughs> in in those four minutes, he was at a minus eleven and uh, did not see a single minute in the fourth quarter. Zero fourth quarter minutes for Jose Alvarado. Like, it, why? This is like I, I I think I caught some heat for bitching a little bit about Devonte Graham's minutes in the fourth quarter because I do not think Devonte Graham played poorly today. I don't, but. There's just so many inherent limitations on lineups with him in the game alongside CJ. They're just bad. They're they're not not good. They're bad lineups. Yeah. And it's so it's not even, it's not even all Devontae's fault. It's just that the fact that they added CJ to this team just makes it so hard to create situations where Devontae, the the pros outweigh the cons. I think that's probably the best way to put it. And and so um, one, one last point on so the the Jose CJ lineup the, the duo there cleaning the glass has so not clean tonight obviously 188 possessions plus 13.1 net rating 90 97 or sorry 94th percentile like it's a good lineup it's it's 90 the Jose Devante lineup no no so Jose CJ did I say yeah, Jose yeah, 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 yeah yeah so Jose CJ it's 97th percentile offense and 68th percentile defense I mean it's this, your points are, are, are spot on. Like, I, I think it puts them in solid roles, and those minutes are. I, I besides the one game, I think the Jose Jose started with CJ for a couple of games, obviously, but but most of that comes against second units, and the, the, that duo does a great job. Jose's good enough defensively; he's not going to be able to switch on anyone, but he's good enough defensively to make it work. 
Devontae's just not. And I mean, it, for, you know, it, it was okay tonight, just, but it's ah, just but not you know, Devontae Graham's got to be the overtime defensive substitution for, for Zion Williamson. We got, we got to have that. That makes sense. Not Trey Murphy, not Najee Marshall, not Dyson Daniels, not Jose Alvarado, Devontae Graham in Atlanta was something. Ain't that wild. So, yeah. like, I, I think it all kind of goes back as to what I've used the word intention and intentionality so many times this season. Probably never used it. Like, I think you probably do a Twitter, Twitter search and it's like. I'm not even convinced intentionality is a word, but go you, you go. I think it is. It, it's a word now. And just like veteranosity is a word. Um, sure. I think there is no intention behind. Uh, no is probably incorrect. I'm sure they have intentions. I think it's poorly thought out intention behind the Pelicans overall offense and its hierarchy. And I think there's poorly thought out intentions behind the substitutions and, and until they, you know, they don't start happening with a purpose with, with a specific purpose. It can't just be like, Hey, I want this unit to switch everything, or I want this unit to do all that. Uh, It's gotta be, Hey, I want to play through, this player, this unit, like I am designing this unit because these are the skill sets that match. And this, this player will maximize that player in this way. Um, And if it's defensive minded, it's got to be the same approach, right? You can easily throw Devante out there and be like, we're going to switch everything. And, and I think, I just think that they're making poor decisions on it so many times. And, and yeah, so I don't know. The, the lineup in the start, the second and to close the first quarter was Jose, CJ, Trey, Zion, and Billy. And I'm just like, I was sitting there looking like, okay, those guys aren't going to stop anyone. We should probably think about doing something differently here. (laughs) And the, and the different thing that happens is Devante coming in for Jose. (laughs) It's like how, how can you make this defensive unit worse? And yeah, I mean, it's and they couldn't they couldn't get a stop. I mean, every the, the stops they got were lucky, wide open misses. And so, and the, and the similar thing happened again in the in the second half. I mean, the, these lineups that that looked like they can't defend for shit couldn't defend for shit, and they couldn't get enough buckets on offense to, to make up for it. And then the Brent Ingram and Zion had to bail the Pelicans out in the fourth quarter. Thank God they did. But I'm not really trying to have those guys help us climb out of holes on a nightly basis. So one thing I want to ask you, and it's related to this question, there seems to be, so this is from Chick. And it says, there seems to be a who the man, and it seems like someone doesn't want to Zion to be that man. So they don't set the offense to his strengths in, in your opinion. And I think this is kind of referring to CJ or, you know, it could be someone else. Maybe it's Willie, whatever. Um, how much, since we're calling people up, I think we can bring Zion, Zion to the stage. How much does it have to be Zion's responsibility to, hey, I want the ball, give it to me, to go get the ball and to put himself, you know, like, I think he is drifting into corners. He is the type of per- player that's routinely said, you know, it's not about me. You know, we've it's well documented how unselfish he is. Uh, and he likes to play within the system. He doesn't like to rock the boat and all that kind of stuff. But when does it become his responsibility to be like, screw this? Like, I, 
I'm sitting at five shots through three quarters. I got to go get this. Yeah. It's a, it's a good question. It's a tough question because I don't know the dynamics in the locker room, but I do know that there is, albeit not as likely as we thought before, there are financial implications for Zion kicking ass this year, right? Obviously, the, the contract stipulations are such that he would have to get first team All-NBA to get the Rose Roll money, um, you know, unless there's some sort of uh, criteria for less money for second or third team. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if that being the back of his mind means that he feels like he can't do that because it, it, it can't look like he's just doing that because he wants to get more money. That seems like it's un, unlikely um, rationale. But I, I, I do think – He's trying to be patient. He knows that he he has hit the, the biggest problem for Zion has been availability. And so being on the floor, I, I don't think, I don't know if he feels comfortable being the guy to go from not playing for so many games to give me the damn ball. Um, I think eventually he's going to force the Pelicans to do it because of how good he is, but I'm not surprised. And I don't really expect him to be going out and saying, give me the ball at this point in the season. Um, I think that's, I, I think for who Zion is, type of person he is, that's not something I would expect or or necessarily need from him at this point. Yeah, I mean, you, I think it's interesting. Think? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I fall more in line with you. I, I had several people texting me tonight that felt completely opposite. They said, you know, if he wants to be one of the league's best, if he claims that he is one of the best players, then he's got to do what those players do, which is go get the ball. Um, otherwise, you know, he'll be another Anthony Davis type, and we'll talk about how he never had the it factor and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I, I think that's, I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, especially within this context of, of he's entering a team that made the playoffs without him. And, and, you know, he hasn't played ball in over a year. So I, I think, I think right now the onus falls more on the team and the coaching staff to get him to those spots rather than him. But I, I do think, there will probably come a time where if things don't improve, then he's got to start rocking the boat. And, yeah, you know, but... I'll be the first person behind him. <laughs> I've been, I've been <laughs> on that spot, you know, I've been on the spot the whole year. And, and if he doesn't, then uh, it'll be a frustrating season. And, and I think that's the idea of it being a frustrating season is, is what I want to kind of wrap this up with is this team has so much potential, so much talent, not just like future uh, potential talent right now they have talent that like you know lesser teams and coaches and, and pelicans fans of the past have like dreamed of and and they are playing in my opinion mediocre basketball that from a process standpoint doesn't pass the sniff test you know it it, it doesn't pass the sniff test you look at their decisions and they don't give you confidence that this is something that is sustainable. That's going to lead to, you know, the high caliber team that this is capable of being. Um, I think they're winning like tonight is a perfect example. I think from a process standpoint, they made almost all the wrong decisions and it was their superstar talent in Brandon Ingram that pulled out the win for them. It was Zion, you know, the initial part of the fourth, so we've got our nightly four minutes of Zion. And then it was your superstar, Brandon Ingram, who his awesome shot making carried it over. And that's not something you can rely on night in, night out. 19 attempted threes, three made. Didn't 
like no shots are designed to generate an open three. They just take them because that's that's the that's the open shot at the moment. Um, I have a comment up there. Dyson misses two free throws and now his minutes are non-existent. How do you instill confidence in that player? I know like the two are probably not related, but they kind of are. Like if if you're a player who missed those free throws, how do you not mentally make that association or connection? Like what do you got to do to to get on the court, right? Um, so I think this season to me has been from a results standpoint, fine, meh, but from a process standpoint, a failure so far. And, and I give it a failing grade. I give the coaching staff a failing grade for how they have operated. And I think the responsibility also falls on the front office um, for, because I think they're a part of it. And, and, and we might see that now if, if Larry has to miss any kind of extended time, like there is no big man depth on this team. Like you can't play Billy Hernan Gomez. Jackson is probably not ready to play. Um, they aren't confident enough to try Zion at the five in long stretches. And they certainly don't give him the ball. So like, I think these kind of things make it difficult for me to get a lot of excitement. Like I'm still going to watch every single game. I'm still going to root for them to make the changes I want them to make. And, and certainly I don't pretend like my way is the best way. And these are the, all the correct answers. Like, I think we're going to learn some things along the way. And I think there's going to be certain things that we're criticizing now that we probably gonna end up being wrong on. Um, but it just seems like for so many, so many decisions, that the process is all all jacked up and and it's frustrating to me despite winning outcomes yeah i mean it's fair like i sat there watching the the game and thinking to myself you know since the pelicans became got all our guys back and i think the warriors game was the first one like i i don't know if i've enjoyed this watching this team play offense and which is crazy to me because they have so much offensive talent. It just feels a little bit disjointed. And to your point, their offense, the, the, the talent is such that they're, they can win games that, in spite of that. Um, but I, I, I you know, it, it does leave you rolling more, especially how they started. They started the year and not saying the process is perfect in the first couple of games, but they, it was, the, the team was, the, I feel like the offense is a little more fun to watch. And so um, I think, um you know, I, there's another comment up there. It's a, you know that your stars have to be stars. It's like, yeah, but you got to do what you can to make things easy for your stars and and, and make help them have the offense come to them. Um, and, and part of that's about the hierarchy, right? Like, I, there's there's plenty of there's more than enough shots to go around for Zion and Bi. <laughs> we just got to you know get the pecking order right. CJ's got to take a step back, and and you know there are a lot of things to figure out. I'm not. I'm not hitting the panic button yet. Um, I, I mean, I think it'd be kind of irresponsible to do that. I, I don't, I don't, I, I think you're. Draw think the you're chart, probably... Mason. The season's lost. <laughs> season derailing loss. Let's go. <laughs> um, but I, I do think it's the, the point around the front office too is interesting. Cause I think we were yelling enough last year about Garrett Temple, but the reality was that you weren't going to move him unless it was part of a bigger trade because that's salary that you can use to your advantage in a, in, a, in a move to go get another player. And that still stands here. I, but I think the Pelicans, I, I do wonder if the results so far, if the front office takes a look and says, you know, we're winning games, but we're I'm not sure if we're winning in the sustainable way. We've got to make a move to either take away a certain player from the rotation or add a certain type of skill set to the rotation. I think it'll be interesting. Um I think there are a lot of teams. I just think in league wide that may be motivated 
to make moves earlier than they anticipated. Um, and so I, you, you, you might see some trades earlier than you expect for reasons like this. Yeah, I saw I saw a chart out there. I said like continuity is is like you know at a league wide high right now, and and I certainly don't think uh, satisfaction is at a league wide high. So you might be you might be right um, in terms of that. But it's just it's I think the thing to me is that like I think there are things that are occurring on the court that don't make any sense, and then there's mounting evidence. So you can't just say, "Hey, Schmidt, you're data oriented." Like get your eyes out of the stat sheet, like watch the game. Nerd. Nerd. Um, have to add the nerd. Nerd. Uh, you can't just, you know, you, you look at the evidence, both of what is occurring on the court and match it up with the data. And, and it's just growing each and each game. And at what point do you decide, hey, I'm going to take these insights and make changes based off of them? And we know coaching staffs in the NBA are typically slow to do so. We know Willie Green may be on the slower end of the spectrum in terms of making changes. But why? And is it because it's a player thing? Like, you know, you are a player coach and you care deeply about relationships with them. And so I just, I don't I don't know, you know. And and I think, like, in this business, both it's it's obviously critically important to have the buy-in from the players and and the relationship. And and I think that's something Willie Green has in spades uh, that you can't teach coaches. You can't teach Stan Van Gundy <laughs> that like, that's just not going to happen. He's not going to learn that. But uh, I think the other part of it, like in terms of uh, X's and O's um, substitutions, I have confidence that Willie can get better. I think those things are teachable. And, but at some point, you are going to have to rely on the data and and implement it. I just don't know what that point is. And right now, it feels like I'm watching the same game over and over and over. And the outcome is a coin flip, right? That's why they're about 500 right now. But it's it's a coin flip. They get in a close game. And, hey, if, if one of these guys gets cooking, they, maybe they win. Or the other team misses more shots than they, they normally take, they win. If not, they lose. So it's like... Why is it taking this long to make changes? Yeah, uh, I mean, look again. I, I, I want to not that it necessarily changes the process, but this team's had a tough, tough go of it as far as their travel schedule over the last two or three weeks. Um, maybe the homestand gives the coaching not, not just the players, but the coaching staff a chance to pull up and really think more critically about what we might be able to do differently. Um, and so I think that's probably that's worth emphasizing is that this the homestand is going to be great for the players, you know, be at home for a long stretch, not feeling like you're getting on a, on a plane every other night. But I think it's going to should also be nice for the, you know, for the, for the coaching staff to really just, you know, feel, uh, you know, back at, at home and be able to maybe think about other things besides just, uh, you know, the, the next game and think more big picture. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you, man, and uh, yeah, I think I think this is a good time to 
to wrap it up. So I'm going to do my shout out to the sponsors, DraftKings UFC 281 is live from New York this Saturday. So make sure you use DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. New customers can bet $5 on UFC 281 and get $200 in free bets. But that's only if you use our promo code BOOT, B-O-O-T. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Place $5 worth of bets on UFC 281. Get $200 in free bets. B-O-O-T. Use that code, please. The minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. And if you or someone you know needs uh, gambling counseling or crisis counseling or referral services, these services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. That's one 800 four two six two five three seven so thanks for for listening folks i hope you enjoyed this session as much as we did